Grace and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When asked, people from other countries typically speak about Americans as cocky, proud, rude. They've even been known to call us arrogant. To a certain extent, I might concede it. Considering our economic power, our vast natural resources, our remarkable high standard of living. It shouldn't surprise anyone how proud we are of our native land. Now this is, by the way, not an excuse for ill behavior in somebody else's country, somebody else's home, but we do think very highly of our native land. Now, that's not everybody. Some people don't think very highly of our land. I think that deficiency, by the way, generally resides within them, not within the country itself. It doesn't actually make me nearly as angry as it does some of you. It makes me sad. I feel sorry for them that they cannot see the greatness of this nation, that all they can see is its faults, which are great as well, don't get me wrong, but travel abroad a little bit more, live abroad a little bit more, and I think you'll, you'll see how kind of cool we are. The United States has strong natural borders and boundaries in the Pacific and the Atlantic Ocean. We have a frozen tundra to the north and a desert to the south. We have very few natural predators on this side of the globe at all. Our freedoms have been given fertile ground to grow, and they have grown prolifically so that the list of our so-called rights are almost dreamlike, certainly dreamlike to most of the nations of the world. We have added to our list of freedoms of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We have added new things like healthcare as a right, phones as a right, education, income. By the way, most of these latter things are not rights. They might be benefits. I'd prefer to call them commodities. Healthcare is a commodity. I'm not trying to be political here. I'm just telling you the way it is. If you want to guarantee every single person in America be seen by a doctor, at some point you'll run out of doctors and you'll have to force doctors to see patients, which you would call slavery. Other people would call it price fixing, but you know, my point is not political. It's simply an example. Poor countries do not ever even consider health care to be a right. They can't possibly afford it. And therefore, it's never upon their list of things that they think they should give unto their citizenry. At best, it's a benefit. It's a benefit of living an incredibly wealthy country with incredible resources. The United States is so vastly wealthy that our healthcare professionals take weeks of vacation to go to third world nations to give healthcare to people who can't afford it in their nation. We have such excess that we can give it away in bucketfuls. We Americans are tempted to forget that the main reason that we have this wealth, the main reason we have this excess is by the grace of God. And it is only by the grace of God that we are so blessed. There is nothing biblical about our form of government. There is no guarantee that our standard of life is going to continue forever. It is not going to continue indefinitely. America has an expiration date. Just like every empire that ever came before it. 
like every other nation that has ever crossed the globe, God has not given us a promise that we're going to endure forever. We're tempted to think that our nation's place in history has come because of something that we did. We're tempted to think that it's come because of, of something that we deserve. That we are more pleasing unto God than any of the other nations. But remember, God will do with our nation as God sees fit. And as God sees fit, He alone makes the decision. He alone will choose. And it doesn't matter who's king. Our country, our way of life stands before God by God's grace and God's grace alone. This example of our national prosperity applies also to our beloved church. It applies also to our beloved Senate. In her growth and expansion during the 19th and the early 20th centuries has now been replaced by decades of decline. Closing parishes and closing schools. Our compromands do not come back to church. Not after 19, not after 20. Sometimes their whole family just simply stops coming. They've graduated from church somehow. And it no longer affects them. Our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren go unbaptized. And I know it's hurtful. We've had one era of robust growth and another era of gradual decline. And God's grace is displayed in both. In other words, if God was with us during the amazing growth, then God has also been with us during the decline. We live under God's grace and by God's grace alone, whether we increase or whether we decrease in strength or in weakness. There is no difference. Jesus has been with us all along, regardless. We're led by Satan to believe that our recent fall off in numbers should be analyzed. We, we, we're told that it should be studied. And we are tempted to think that if we would just work a little harder, if we would just do something different, that maybe it would turn the corner. If we would all just bind together and lock arms, that, that maybe it would get better. Maybe if our towers were, were taller. Maybe if our bells were louder. It's not the same logic that we're tempted with in the, in the period of decline, is it not? Was it not God's grace upon us that had us grow? And when we were growing, did we not bless God for it? Was God not with us when we were flourishing? Our Lord has been equally gracious and allowed our churches to suffer reduction. He has allowed our churches to suffer loss. Attendance in the nation is lagging. Church attendance, church membership in America is at an all-time low. At a time when our citizenship is an all-time high. As many as 10 churches closed per day. Shuttering parishes, reduced enrollment. The LCMS has, we've closed down three colleges in the last three years. Concordia Selma, Concordia Bronxville, Concordia Portland. Untold elementary schools have closed. Reverend Kyle McBee, a friend of uh, Deaconess Karen Souter, just recently had to close his preschool. Most of the reason he closed the preschool was because they had had a revolt within the staff. The staff no longer appreciated or respected the office of the parish or the parish itself. The school just simply thought that they were an entity of their own and they didn't need that church anymore. So they closed the school and fired the staff. 
Some Christian schools are doing much better. I think that's mostly an act of pragmatism, not really a a Christian revival. It might lead to a Christian revival. Most Christian schools nowadays are are full. They're maxed out. They're full to the brim, looking to add classes, looking to add staff, which is great. I think it's more pragmatism than revival, though. Over this last year of COVID, they've seen that if you go to a private school, the leadership is right here and you can walk in and talk to the person in charge as opposed to listening to the principal who has to go to a district executive who has to appeal to the governor who has to appeal to the federal courts to see what they're going to do next. In our text here today, St. Paul talks about weakness. And the strength that God gives in weakness. The strength that's made manifest in weakness. Paul tells his dear Corinthians that he had been given a revelation from of the afterlife. And Paul, what Paul sees reveals and helps to inform what St. John sees in his revelation as well. Yet in the second epistle, Paul struggles to get heard by his members. What a dichotomy. He has this, this stupendous vision of the afterlife, and yet closed-minded congregants can't hear it. These internal struggles for Paul comes to a climax in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, which we just read. Paul himself has been and is still the poster child for the gospel unto the Gentiles. And through all of his trials and through all of his temptations, he has been given a thorn in his flesh. He has been given a messenger of Satan in order to keep him from being too elated. To keep him from becoming too full of himself. Could these difficulties been attributed unto God? Paul certainly seems to think so. In this world, only weak men submit themselves to mistrust and insults and injustices. Strong men, on the other hand, strong men violently resist such unfair practices and doggedly work to bring about justice upon their enemies. As a baptized child of God, we are called to a seemingly radical life of worldly weakness, to a life of service. We're not called to a life of strength. Now, if we listen to the well-meaning talking heads pondering the church and her message, we'll be woefully misled. For church growth is not a mystery. We have had church growth for almost 50 years now, and its theology is very, very simple. You simply tell people what they want to hear, you sing what they want to sing, and you serve them what they want to serve. If they want better coffee, give them better coffee. If they want a better youth group, give them a better youth group. If they want pride flags, plant a couple of pride flags. If they want drums, give them drums. If they want stadium seating and leather bags, give it to them. The false world, the false prince of worldly strength offers quick fixes that do not come near to touching the problem of human sinfulness. We see it in the life of the saints. God's grace never ceases to be work in their hearts, even as they struggle, even as they struggle with their own sinful flesh. And so it is with our lives and so it is with the lives of our fellow churchmen. What the world defines as strength is sometimes simply acquiescence and giving up and going with the flow. 
leading to despair of God's grace rather than being drawn out for true strength, true strength that is found in weakness. Consider what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now these things happened for them as an example, but they were written down for our instructions. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands Take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may endure. The struggle which Paul is referring to is common to all sinful human being and being powerfully used by God in order to shape us in our weakness. Our loving Father is in control of our growth and He is in control of our decline. He is in control of all of our struggles, whether they be good struggles or bad struggles, and He desires to use those struggles to draw us closer unto Him that we might rely greatly upon His grace and His grace alone. Remember how God allowed Satan to tempt and to try Job so that Job might turn against God. God allowed this fragile servant to be pushed utterly beyond what you might call the brink of of any normal human being. And after every single point of pride, after every single refuge was taken away from him, Job was left despised and destitute, sitting in a pile of ash, scraping his wounds with a pot shard. At one point, his wife told him, why don't you just curse God and die? And yet, Job's real strength is made manifest in his weakness. When everything else is taken away, his reliance upon God and upon God's grace remains. In fact, St. Paul says in this morning's text that these trials are brought to finality in our weakness. This finality, the word, the Greek word in use finality, um, has the same completion and ending fact in our weakness. It's not the same word that Jesus Christ Himself uses upon the cross when He says that it's finished. Our grace is brought to finality in our weakness, being empowered by Christ Himself. God's grace is mightier than thorns. God's grace is mightier than churches. God's grace is mightier than countries. God's grace is mightier than princes and emperors. God's grace is mightier than any president than we will ever see. The power of God's grace to spread over us, to cover us with Himself, for His strength becomes our strength, and our weakness is His strength, and He empowers that weakness as an example unto the world. For my power is made perfect. It is made complete in your weakness, says Paul. This is totally counterintuitive and understood only by faith. Paul writes, Therefore I will boast ever more gladly of my weakness 
So has the power of Christ that rests upon me cover me, for when I am weak, I am also strong. Thus, as our Lord said to the eleven before his crucifixion, the very same thing. I've said these things unto you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Peter says it as well. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to the faithful creator, the doer of all good. First Peter chapter four, verse 19. In John chapter one, in his first letter, chapter five, verse four and five, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes in Jesus Christ, the son of God? Finally, the writer of Hebrews agrees, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet was found without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near unto the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need, regardless of who is in office, regardless who controls the Congress. Regardless of who thinks they are in charge, God is in charge. God's mercy triumphs over all. And it is a thorn that we will all have to bear. It's the same in our parishes. And it is the same in our homes. It doesn't matter who is in the pulpit. It doesn't matter who is in the pews. God's grace is greater than any thorn that we will ever experience. We have been appointed and duly recognized as baptized children of God. We are servants of the Lord God on this planet and in this time, in this time of great need. When servants and men and women of weakness are becoming all too rare. God has appointed us for just such a just such a job. He holds us near and dear because of his good and gracious will. In the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord and Savior. Amen.